it's it's very exciting actually it's funny how something small like that just having somebody come up to you and say these are the best tacos i've ever had or um you know i've been waiting for these all week it's it's a really nice way to get that immediate feedback. Two years ago, during one of many Melbourne lockdowns, Katie Simpkins opened food truck Dingo Ate My Taco for the first time. A former lawyer, Katie didn't have any real hospitality experience. In fact, she was sure nobody would come for tacos. How wrong she was. It's been a ride and I'm looking forward to digging into the tale. Katie, welcome to Dirty Linen. Thanks, Danny. Good to have you here. Uh, I mean, what kind of ride has the last two years been? It has been very wild. Uh, we, you know, we kind of gave up on opening a few years ago. And finally, one night, one week, we just thought, well, screw it, we'll open. Um, and we were very sure nobody would come. We hadn't actually done a lot of research on that location. It was just close to where the truck was. So we pulled up next to the river in Maribyrnong and uh, people came. Uh, so that was a very interesting experience. G- give us a little bit of the backstory. Why, why you? Why tacos? Why a truck? Uh, well, I actually grew up mostly in Alice Springs. Um, my husband is from Austin, Texas, and we lived there together for many years. We met in law school and we were both uh, lawyers but involved in social justice in Austin. Um, and I had been trying to get him to move to Australia from something like 10 years and we kept going to cities and he didn't see anything that he liked and he kept complaining there weren't any good tacos uh so as a joke i said open a taco truck then instead of being a lawyer um and he did (laughs) so we started you know it's it started out very small and it was really focused on barbecue because his family owned barbecue restaurants in texas and in central texas there are a lot of barbecue style tacos Uh, So we thought there was a hole in the market here for tacos that were made with real ingredients, with fresh tortillas every day. We weren't seeing a lot of that. uh, And it turned out there was. I love it. So tell me um, if people come to the truck, what sort of tacos or other food can they get? So we have what we started with, which is breakfast tacos, uh, which are, you know, ubiquitous in Austin, but not very common here, and uh, smoked meat barbecue tacos. So we do brisket, um, carnitas, sometimes we do smoked chicken. Uh, We did a kangaroo asada for a while, um, and it was really focused on the meats and the barbecue, and about, I would say about a month in, we did birria as a special, just because... We hadn't had it in a while and we felt like eating some and that really took off. So about 50% of our sales from the truck now are birria quesa tacos. Amazing. Um, I mean, you mentioned that you were lawyers working in social justice. How has that sort of ex- that experience and those ethics played into what you do at Dingo Ate My Taco? I think it's been a big part of what we do. And I think that kind of helped us grow during COVID too, because it was important to us to make sure that we were creating a workspace that kind of fought back a little bit against the casualization of the workforce and the insecurity that hospitality workers were facing. Um, A lot of that was early on, we had um, a lot of students who were here who, as you know, were not well protected during COVID. Uh, They didn't receive any financial assistance. They weren't eligible for job seeker. um, And they we decided very early on that we would not cut hours if we were slow. So we give people all the hours that they're rostered no matter what. 
Um, and that we definitely had weeks where we were paying to be open, but we felt like creating that kind of stability would lead to a happier and more stable workforce and also allow us to kind of give back from what we were making. Wow, it's so interesting. And I know that you've got a First Nations focus as well. Can you talk about that? We do. I, we, you know, we try to give a certain percentage of what we make back to the community and we try to choose the local community uh, in recognition of the fact that we're on unceded land. We give, uh, you know, for example, this weekend, it's our second anniversary. So we're donating $500 to pay the rent. And then once a month, we do an initiative where we donate the entire price of our horchatas, which is a kind of traditional Mexican drink, to pay the rent or other organizations that are dedicated to um, protecting the rights of First Nations people. And we try to make sure that those are Black-led organizations. Uh, It's such a big change from being lawyers to running a food truck. I mean, uh, how do you make sense of this this change, you know, as part of your personal story? Uh, you know, it's very interesting. I did a lot of work in juvenile justice and prisons and institutions before this. Um, and that's, that's very tough work. You're ve- dealing with things that don't really end. You know, very sad stories where how well you do is going to affect the outcome of someone's life. Uh, and this is a little bit easier in that sense. It's, you know, if the tacos don't work out that day, you can fix it. <laughs> it's not going to be a matter of life or death for somebody. But uh, there is, you know, there's there's a certain energy to kitchens and a certain level of adrenaline that is similar to what we did before. Yeah, it's so interesting. And I mean, what about, what about the financial stability? Uh, well, you know, it's interesting. I, in the United States, the kind of work that I did, the public interest sort of law, doesn't pay very well. <laughs> so it's it would be hard to make less than that. Um, we have we've been very lucky here. Actually, we we've been selling out since the first weekend. So we've had pretty good financial stability with the restaurant, which I think is very lucky for a small business during COVID. And what about you know? the way that you can just please people like people eat a taco they're happy like what sort of what are the real satisfactions of doing what you do it's it's very exciting actually it's funny how something small like that just having somebody come up to you and say these are the best tacos I've ever had or um you know I've been waiting for these all week it's it's a really nice way to get that immediate feedback and we're always here so we're in the kitchen and with the truck format we're interacting with people on a level we wouldn't get to in a traditional kitchen Um, and we get to see people's faces and talk to them and particularly during covid we had a lot of people where we were their only interaction during the day so we had people who came every day and we were kind of providing a level of mental health services for people who had no other interaction outside the home yeah i've heard that from from so many small business owners, you know, like a, a lot of baristas, you know, where people were um, really craving that content, uh, that contact, and they really could sense how important it was. And it was, you know, important for the people who were um, serving as well to have that, that continuity and to really feel like you were making a difference. Um, yeah, it's really, people really became connected and we could really feel how much we needed one another. Hey. Yeah, it was, you know, it was really, it was really great for us to be able to provide that for people during that time and have that connection to people. Um, And I think, 
you know, it was nice for us too to see the same people coming every day and know that things were going to kind of go on, that people still wanted to try new things and still wanted to interact with the hospitality community. That was that was very reassuring. Mm. Um, so, Katie, I mean, at the moment, it feels like we're at another pressure point of the pandemic with rising costs, um, ongoing problems with staffing, uh, you know, there's uh, people are short staffed and then people are getting sick on top of that. So people are losing staff left, right and centre. Um, tell me about some of the pressure points that are facing you at the moment. The pressure for staffing is just extraordinary for us. I mean, we we have a lot of people ask why we're not open more, why we can't open. You know, we have a shop front on St. Kilda Road, why we can't open that every day. It's only open one day a week. And it's extraordinarily difficult to find staff right now. And we're very, very lucky. A lot of our staff, we have people who want to work for us. We've been very lucky in that area. We have a lot of chefs from very high profile restaurants that come and help in our kitchen uh, just because they like being there. Um, And up until the beginning of this year, we were fine. You know, we had a lot of really loyal workers who loved being there, didn't want to leave. And then we really started feeling the effects of having the borders close, not having new working holiday visas, people come in. And then a lot of our staff who were on student visas got to the point where their visas were going to end or they needed to do a practical work experience. And that is where it really started to hurt us because workers who were on student visas that were outside of hospitality basically had to take any job that they could get that was in their field. And those jobs were too many hours for them to stay. And then people who were studying you know, working on their cookery certificates, they have requirements where they do practical experience. And those requirements are really designed for big hotels and kind of large restaurant groups. You know, they have to show that they're doing buffet service and a la carte and specific types of functions. And most small restaurants, like the restaurants that people think of when they think of Melbourne's vibrant restaurant culture are not like that, right? So, if what you have to pull from is these student groups, they all end up having to go to big hotels or large restaurant chains, whether they want to or not. Yeah, that's really such an interesting point. So is it that the schools, is it about the curriculum or is it that these culinary schools are tied to the hotels and the restaurant groups? I yeah, I would say it's it's a little bit about both. There's certainly benefits to having people, having chefs apprentice and train in these large restaurant settings and learning how to handle each station and do these individual jobs. But it seems like these schools have very strong connections to certain groups and they really do drive their students to very specific places. Um, and it's it's problematic because there's a very small people pool of people to pull from here. And there's just, I think there's a perception that these students can work anywhere and they can't. I mean, for example, we had this young woman who was just lovely, who was in the country on a student visa and she was studying something else. And, but she really wanted to work in the kitchen. So she started studying cookery and she was training in the kitchen. She loved working for us. She was on a full-time contract. 
And when her she got to the practical elements for her school, we submitted all the paperwork for her and they said, no, no way. You need to pay us to place you in a hotel. And she was basically going to be financially punished if she continued working for us. Uh, they were going to make her pay to repeat that section or pay for, to find this placement. And they don't find them. They just feed them straight in there. So it was it was really difficult for her. She was coming into work crying every day. Um, it caused an enormous amount of unnecessary stress. And it really limits the kind of, you know, the pool of people that we can hire from as a small restaurant. It's been an ongoing theme, you know, that we've talked about on and off on this podcast about the quality of culinary training in Australia. And, you know, of course, there are some really good schools and there are some great curriculums and great teachers, but it also seems that there are some schools that are set up more to make money and to take advantage of the visa system than to um, send out um, work-ready chefs. I mean, do you, what's your sense of the the state of training in, in hospitality in Australia? I would tend to agree with you. I'm sure there are some excellent schools, but the ones that we see student visa holders coming out of, um, a lot of times they haven't really been taught the skills. You know, they're learning them from our chefs in our kitchen. And they, they seem, the schools seem to have a really strained disproportionate amount of power. It seems like this administrative power from the Department of Immigration has been delegated to these for-profit schools and with very little oversight as to how the schools make their determinations. Um, and that to me is very concerning. It seems like the schools take these kids' money, take these take them and put them in class and don't teach them that much, but have an enormous amount of control over what happens next in their visa. Yeah. I mean, you're a, you're a lawyer by training. I mean, what do you think of the way the system works? You know, it's, it's very, very interesting to me, particularly on the administrative side, because I'm not sure where the checks exist here between the Department of Immigration and what the schools are actually doing. So, you know, the schools, for example, they'll finish teaching for at say 1 p.m. and the students have to sit there until 3 p.m. otherwise they get reported to immigration right so it's not that they're necessarily providing all of those hours of education they're literally just making them sit there uh, sorry that i just was briefly speechless by that revelation um i mean that's just super shonky it's very, it's very strange and it's unfortunate because the people that we've seen who are on student visas working in our kitchen want to be chefs and they want to contribute to the hospitality community. And they're people who were here through COVID, worked every day through COVID. You know, they're paying taxes, they're paying for their own health care, and there's just been, it, it doesn't seem like there's been any concessions for this group of people that really suffered during that period and what they've contributed to the hospitality community. Yeah. I mean, uh, my personal view is that any visa holder that stuck it out through COVID without access to JobKeeper um, uh, and told to go home really should be put straight onto a pathway to permanent residency because we know we need workers here and um, we did not treat those people properly. 
No, I, I absolutely agree with you. And the other thing is Australian citizens aren't applying for these jobs. I've never had an Australian citizen apply for a job as a dishwasher or a line chef. You know, the, the people who are applying for these jobs are student visa holders and working holiday visa holders. And they're, they're all immigrants. So I, I don't think that there's an argument that they're taking jobs from anyone. So I'm quite shocked that there hasn't been more of an effort to let people who are here during COVID on student visas and other visas stay with full working rights. Mm. I was really shocked to read uh, recently that the backlog of, of visas to be processed in our system is is almost one million. So I just feel like the previous government was, I don't know, were they just not working at all? I mean, what was going on? But we've got a we've got a new minister for immigration um, and migrant services, Andrew Giles. We've got a new minister for home affairs, Claire O'Neill, and I know that they will both listen to this podcast. I'll send it to them anyway. Um, Katie, what would you like them to know about? Uh, you know, well, what would you what would you like them to change about the system? Well, two things. I'd like some recognition and you know more pathways for people who stayed here during COVID and worked in hospitality to stay in jobs that they've trained in, that we've paid to train them in, and that they're good at, so that we can keep the you know the kind of hosp- Melbourne hospitality culture going. Um, and I also just as a lawyer, would like to see some oversight <laughs> over the delegation of power from the Department of Immigration and this administrative authority that these schools seem to have over people's lives. You know, they they charge a lot of money, um, they don't seem to be regulated, and they have a disproportionate amount of power over who gets a visa at the end of the day. Yeah, I think education is an important industry for Australia, but I think the fact that it's an industry and, you know, an industry for profit has um, left it open to all kinds of um, abuses and misuse. And it's, um, yeah, I think it's definitely ripe for a shake-up. Yeah, I think so too. And I, I hope that we'll see that with the new administration. Yeah, I hope so too. Um, all right, Katie, so if I come and get a taco, what am I going to order? What are you going to give me? Oh, uh, definitely the barrier. Tell, like, I feel like beer has been, it's been, it's ubiquitous in Australia over the past couple of years, but for anybody who has not had that droopy experience, can you talk us through it? Sure. So, I mean, birria is the kind of birria that people were seeing on TikTok and that people think of in Australia is a birria quesa taco, which comes from the Tijuana area. And the foods that we do are all kind of American border style foods. Um, So it's basically a beef stew that you deconstruct and put back together. So we make this enormous beef brisket stew and then you take the meat out. We skim the fat off the top. We use the fat to fry the shell of the taco and then put the meat in back in with cheese. And then we strain off the remainder into a broth and then you dip the tacos in the broth and drink the broth at the end. And then you are happy and you come up to the window and you say, Katie, that was the best taco I've <laughs> ever had. 
Well, we certainly hope so. Um, thank you so much for yeah bringing me up to speed with everything Dingo Ate My Taco World, Katie. It's really great to have you on the show and, um, yeah, all the best uh, serving tacos to the people. Well, thank you for having me. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This.